Well, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to meet us in the word this morning. We love the scriptures. Lord, what a gift you've given to us. A lamp to our feet, a light to our path. The sword of the spirit, which shows us what's happening in our hearts. Strength and encouragement and perseverance given to us. Lord, do it again now. Meet us in the word. Unleash its power in in me, Lord, I need your help now as I preach and unleash its power in us as we hear and pour out a spirit of thanksgiving in our hearts to you. Through this time this morning now I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I was thinking about, uh, about the topic this morning, one thing that struck me was that it's really easy, it's too easy, and too often we we read the scriptures and we can like read right through statements that should just like floor us and stun us. You know how we do that? Just read right through them. Like they're just nothing. And the one I thought of was first Thessalonians five eighteen, where Paul just throws this out in everything that is always give thanks for this is God's will for you. Now that is just mind-blowing because it feels impossible, right? I mean, so much of the time we've got, you know, there's job pressures and there's, um, you know, parenting difficulties and there's relational problems and, 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 and marriage points of conflict and there's financial hardship and job problems or unemployment issues and frustrations and disappointments and there's just all these things that we have in our hearts that at the time we have them makes it feel impossible to thank. But Paul says very clearly, God's will is that we always, always are feeling and expressing thanks to God. Always. But God's word doesn't just say that's his will. I love how the Father does this. He also, in his word, tells us how to do that. Why we can do that. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. So we're doing a series on prayer, and I want to focus this morning on thanking as part of our prayer, so that when we have focused prayer times, a large part of that will be thank you, thank you. And as we're praying throughout the day, all of our prayers have the atmosphere of thank you, thank you, thank you, so that we're always giving thanks. That's what I'm asking God to do in my heart more this morning and in our hearts. So the passage, the psalm I want us to look at is Psalm 107. Powerful psalm. Go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We'd like all of you to have a Bible you can look on. Study with us, Psalm 107. In the Bibles we're passing out, it's page 506. This psalm, uh, it's a call to God's people to give thanks to the Lord. Okay, you can see that right there in verse 1. Page 506, the Bibles were passing out. Psalm 107, look at verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, start right off there. He doesn't mince words, goes right for the main issue. Give thanks to the Lord. And then he immediately, in that verse, tells us why. Okay, so let's dig into that. Now, why? Why should we give thanks to the Lord? Let's assume nothing. Let's raise that very basic question. And he gives us two reasons in verse 1. First reason, 
because he is good. And what that means is he's done amazing, just incredibly good things for us. I mean, just think about it. He chose to make you. I mean, how big a gift is the gift of life? You could have, like, not been. That's big. He's given you a body that does incredible things. And even though we've all, every single one of us, has turned away from him and rebelled against him, and he, he deserves to judge us and punish us forever because of that, yet what he did was to send Jesus to be punished for sin. That's an amazing gift. And if you're trusting Jesus right now, if there's trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your heart, then that means that while you were still his enemy, God put his affection upon you and loved you and chose you. And then there's a point in your life where he brought his saving power upon you and he changed your heart, gave you repentance, gave you faith. So you repented of your sins. You put your trust in Jesus. At that moment, forgiveness was poured out upon you for all your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, forgiveness poured out upon you. And God gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you experience Jesus in your heart, talking with him, loving him, beholding him, feeling his love, sensing his comfort, his security. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, your present salvation, your future salvation, God will keep you persevering in the faith all the way to the end. He's going to guide you, provide for you, comfort you, strengthen you. Philippians 4.13, like Maria shared that scripture, raise you from the dead. Unless he comes back first, then he'll just go right to be with him, raise you from the dead, comes back first, whatever. And then you'll be with him and his people in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. I mean, that's just an amazing list I love to talk about. But now, there needs to be something more in order for us to give thanks. Yes, we give thanks to the Lord because he's good, but there's something else that also needs to be there for us to give thanks. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say uh, if you got a paycheck recently, how many of you feel an obligation welding up inside of you when you get your paycheck to thank your boss for the paycheck? I don't think you feel an obligation for that. I mean, if you do, that's really nice, but you don't, because he owes you that money, right? Maybe he should thank you, okay? I don't know, but the point is, thanks isn't so much something that gets stirred up when somebody does something that, they're obligated to do or that they owe us to do. Feel it this way. What if you were short of cash and you went to your boss and said, I'm short on cash. Could I have my paycheck a week early? Now then, if he gave you your paycheck a week early, it's not just a good thing, the paycheck, but it's a good thing that's undeserved, that's mercy, that's grace. Then you'd say, thank you, right? Because not only is it a good thing, it's an undeserved thing. Now that's the second reason we should give thanks to God. One is, he has done lavish good, and then all of the lavish good he does for us is undeserved mercy. That's in that second phrase. For his steadfast love endures forever. That word steadfast love, crucial word to get, to understand the Old Testament. Occurs 245 times. It's the Hebrew word chesed, which means... Well, it's translated steadfast love, but it's always means an action that's undeserved, merciful, gracious. God didn't have to do it, 
but out of the goodness, the overflow of his heart, he does undeserved good things. That's hesed, steadfast love, mercy. So here's why you and I should give thanks to God. Two reasons. Verse one, because he has done lavish, breathtaking, amazing, undeserved good for us. Poured it out upon us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Okay, now, as you keep reading the psalm, what you find is that the author wants his readers to focus on one specific undeserved good that God's done. Okay? So let's think about what is this specific undeserved goodness that the psalmist has in mind. You can see it in verses 2 and 3. He says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Okay, what's he talking about here? He's talking about how God has redeemed, brought back Israel from exile. Okay, now here's the historical background so you can feel what's going on here. God chose Israel as a nation to be his people. And what he meant by that was he was going to so pour his goodness out upon them so that they would show his goodness to the nations so that through God pouring his goodness out upon Israel and all the nations seeing it, all the nations would come and put their trust in him. That was God's intention. So God said to Israel, listen, if you will trust me, I will lavish undeserved goodness upon you. I will satisfy your hearts full to overflowing with my presence. I will provide for you a land flowing with milk and honey. I will provide for you harvest and children and every good thing, if you'll trust me. But if you don't trust me, I will destroy you. That's what God said. So what did Israel do? If you read the Old Testament, the vast majority of Israel through their whole history rebelled against God, refused to trust him, trusted so-called gods of their own making. So what did God do? God was patient, slow to anger. And he sent prophets to them. And these prophets came and they warned them. They said, listen, God is saying, if you don't repent and come back to me, I'm going to send Babylon, the nation of Babylon, the Babylonian empire. They will come and they are going to destroy Jerusalem if you don't repent. Many of you will be killed. Many of you will be scattered to the nations. Many of you will be taken in chains back to Babylon as slaves. If you don't repent, God's being patient. Repent. Prophet after prophet after prophet was sent to them by God. And how did they respond? They laughed at the prophets. They beat the prophets. They imprisoned the prophets. And they kept rebelling and worshiping idols. So what happened? 600 BC, Babylon came, destroyed Jerusalem, flattened it. Many slain, butchered, killed. Many fleeing, spreading to the nations all around, and many taken in chains back to Babylon, the exile. 70 years this lasted. During this time, though, God's people 
turned back to God, realized what had happened, cried out to God, would you have mercy upon us one more time? Would you restore us? Would you help us? Would you deliver us? And what did God do? God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, steadfast love. So God forgave them, worked in the hearts of the empire. They all came back, gathered them from east to west, from north and south, restored the temple, brought them back to the promised land, redeemed them. That's what the author's talking about in verses 2 and 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, the west, the north, and from the south. So in this psalm, what the author wants his readers to do is thank the Lord for how he's brought you back from exile. Thank the Lord for that. Now, how does he stir them to do that? Okay, he must have some sense. We've kind of lost our sense of thankfulness for what, what he's done through the exile. So how does he stir them to give thanks to God? Now, this will be helpful for us to see because, um, like I said earlier, we all have times where we just kind of feel like Eeyore, right? Winnie the Pooh? Okay, Eeyore, kind of grumbly, kind of complaining, everything's bleak, and you're not feeling thankfulness in your heart. We all have times, constantly, where we're like that, and so we can look at how the author stirs them to give thanks to God, and we can then use that to stir our own thanks to God. So how does he stir them? What can we do to stir thanks to God? And the answer is in the rest of this psalm. From verse 4 all the way through, it's a long psalm, through verse 42, what the author does is he goes into great detail in what God did in delivering them from the exile. He drills a lot deeper into what, what God did in his redeeming them from the nations, bringing them back. So verses 4, and 4 through 42 describe the exile in more detail, but there's something else they do at the same time. I didn't know this until I studied this psalm more more deeply this week. Notice verse 43. This is the punchline for the whole psalm. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them, that is the the description of how God's redeemed in verses 4 to 42, Let, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love, the merciful, undeserved goodness of the Lord. So at the end of the psalm, he opens it up to whoever's wise who's reading this, which would include us, if you're wise, okay? He wants us to attend to these things, to look closely at verses 4 through 42. And the reason, what he's saying is that what he wrote here has two purposes. One is you can read here about how God delivered Israel from the exile, yes, and see his abundant goodness in that. But the second purpose he has is he's written it in such a way so it also describes God's abundant goodness in redeeming us from sin and bringing us back to himself. He has a dual purpose in these verses. Here's the quote from, uh, kick up the quote from Derek Kidner, who wrote a, a commentary in the Psalms. Here's what he says. I think it's right on target. It is himself that the reader is to recognize in this picture of plight and salvation. That is, we should recognize ourselves in verses 4 through 42. It's not just about Israel and the exile. It's about how God has redeemed us from sin to bring us home to himself. So it is himself that the reader is to recognize in this picture of plight and salvation. And it is the steadfastness of God 
that he is now to praise with new insight. Okay? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go through verses 4 to 42. And I'm praying that as we go through this passage, that God will empower his word. Because see, we're, we're probably all over the map emotionally this morning. Some of you are full of thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Okay? Others of you aren't. Okay? Others of you are full of confusion or bitterness or hopelessness or despair or fear or just like lethargy, complacency, blah, nothing. So we're all over the map emotionally and, and I'm praying that as we go through, there's five sections in verses 4 to 42 and again, they describe both the way God redeemed Israel from exile, brought them to, back to the promised land. That's in there. We'll see it. But he wrote it in such a way so that everyone who's wise can see in the same passage also how God has redeemed us from sin and is bringing us home to himself. Okay, are you ready? Let's take a look. How has Israel and each of us experienced God's undeserved goodness? Five sections. First of all, verses four through nine, we were lost, hungry, and thirsty. But when we called upon God, he met our every need. Okay, start reading in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Okay, that was true of Israelites fleeing from Jerusalem after the Babylonian conquest, right? They were hungry, wandering, thirsty, no way to a city. That's also what was true of us in consequence of our sin as we were far from God. We were wandering in a desert waste. Remember, if you can just get your mind back there, what that felt like when you were apart from God, you hadn't been saved through trusting Jesus. Remember what that felt like? Wandering in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, your soul fainting. Verse 6. Then... They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Israel had sinned. They were suffering the consequences of their sin. We had sinned. We were suffering the consequences for our sin, wandering, hungry, thirsty. When we called upon God, when Israel called upon God, he delivered us from our distress. He led them by a straight way, verse 7, till they reached a city to dwell in. Okay, that means he, he led them back from the nations to the promised land. And through Jesus, he's leading us through this world. He's bringing us home, new heaven, new earth. We're going to be with God and his people forever. So verse 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Undeserved goodness for his wondrous works. That word wondrous is like you see something that makes your jaw drop. Whoa! I mean, this is an amazing thing. So give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Because of sin, we were lost, hungry, thirsty, wandering. We cried out to God, and because of Jesus Christ, he delivered you. You're not lost anymore. You're found. You're not hungry anymore. You're being fed. You're not thirsting. He's giving you the living water. He's bringing you home. He's leading you to the city. It's the first one. What's happening in your heart? Okay, let's keep going. Second one. We were prisoners of sin. But when we called upon God, he delivered us. 
verses 10 through 16. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he, God, bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. That's Israel, right? Because of their years of rebellion against God, God brought Babylon, took many of them in chains, back to Babylon, in prison, in slavery. No one could help them. But that's also all of us. It's all of us. We'd rebelled against God's word. We had turned away from him. And the result was we were enslaved under the power of sin's guilt and sin's power. We were like in chains to sin's guilt and power, and there was nothing we could do. We couldn't help ourselves. We were enslaved to sin's guilt and power. So picture, that's where you were. That's where Israel was. Verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Don't you love that? So let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Okay, so there you are. You're behind a door of bronze. You've got bars of iron. You've got handcuffs on you. You've got chains on you. And you call upon the Lord to deliver you. And the doors burst forth. The bars are cut in two. The chains fall off. I love the, how's that song go? Long my imprisoned, this is the old hymn, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's might. Then he says, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. You, you shined the light of Jesus' glory into my heart. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. That happened to you if you're trusting Jesus. You were in a dark Nasty dungeon, okay, with chains and bronze and iron. And you called upon the Lord and he delivered you. So verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. He shatters the bronze of, doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. See what the author's doing? Going into detail in our salvation so that we start to give thanks. Keep going. He's being brutal against ungratefulness here. He's just going to nail it. All right. Third, when we compounded our problems with more sin. Oh, no. More sin. Yes. When we compounded our problems with more sin and called upon God, he saved us. Verses 17 through 22. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Okay, that's Israel. Even after they experienced the exile, they're there in exile in Babylon. Many of them continued to turn away from God and brought even further oppression and difficulty and suffering upon themselves. And that's also been true of each of us, hasn't it been? After we've been saved, we still tragically, have turned back to sin in small ways every day and some in larger, longer ways. We have. And we've suffered the consequences because of that, right? 
you can think through in your own history how that's happened. We've turned back to sin and suffered as a result. Verse 19, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I mean, time after time, when we fall back into sin and we're suffering the consequences, we're miserable without the presence of Jesus as one. We've already looked at that this morning, right? So we're, we're miserable in these consequences when we call upon God, Lord, please would you have mercy upon me again? What does he do every time? He delivers you because of Jesus again and 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 again. And again, you can look back to, I mean, your history is deliverance, deliverance, forgiveness, forgiveness, deliverance, deliverance, forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Fourth, the section heads into a little, little different approach. No mention of sinfulness here, but it's that we face problems beyond our abilities, but when we call upon God, he rescues us. Verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. So during the exile, different nations, some of the Israelites worked on the ocean, sailors and boats, whatever. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. The waves mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. This is a picture. It's not a question of their sinfulness here. Just a, a picture of them facing situations beyond their control. Okay? We all face lots of situations. Like, truth be known, every day you face situations beyond your control. Don't you? I hope you see that because you do. Okay? Every day we face that. And look at what happens. Verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Time after time after time, when you have faced circumstances beyond your control, and you've cried out to the Lord, help me. He has helped you. And he's brought you to your desired haven. I mean, you can look back in your history. And there's, I'm sure if you can remember, I hope you can, there's dozens of times when the Lord intervened when you were in over your head and he delivered you. And so, verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him. Lift him up, raise him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Last section. The God who delivers us from sin, I'm sorry, who punishes sin, delivers us from sin's punishment. So the God who does punish sin, he delivers us from sin's punishment, and he sustains us and delivers us from every trial. Different section here, this is his conclusion. Three parts. First, God punishes sin, verses 33 to 34. He turns rivers, that's a good thing, into a desert. It's a bad thing. Springs of water, that's a good thing, 
into thirsty ground. Bad thing. A fruitful land, it's a good thing, into a salty waste. That's a bad thing. Why does he do this? It's because of the evil of its inhabitants. Okay, we've all done evil. This is what we all face. We all deserve this. But verses 35 through 38, instead, he turns a desert, bad thing, into pools of water, good thing. He turns a parched land, bad thing, into springs of water, good thing. And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock diminish. So God delivered Israel from their exile instead of punishing them. And God delivers us from his punishment. Verses 35 through 38. And then one last section. Because in this life, we face trials. You might think from verses 35 to 38 that we have no trials. We face trials, but God sustains us in all of them, and he ultimately delivers us from all of them. 39. When they're diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow. This isn't their own evil. You can see from the next line. He pours contempt on princes and makes them, the evil princes, wander in trackless wastes. These evil princes diminished them, brought them low, oppressed them, evil, sorrow, God pours contempt. He punishes those who do evil. Verse 41, he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Okay, what the author's just done, I I just love this. He's just painted an amazing picture of astonishing, undeserved goodness that God has poured out upon you. I mean, do you see this? Do you realize you are the recipient of just incredible, undeserved goodness from the God of the universe? The spigot of the pipeline coming down from heaven is massive and it's gushing with goodness upon you. Forgiveness, deliverance, sustaining, comfort, food, provision, guidance, salvation, leading to heaven. The, the, the pipeline from heaven is just gushing with goodness upon you. And, and that's why we, we're always to be giving thanks. That's why. So let's drill into that a little bit deeper. Okay, so now how, how is it possible for us always to give thanks to God? Verse 33, last verse in the psalm. So whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. That is, pay attention to these things. Think deeply about these things. Let your mind be full of what God has and is and will be doing for you. Let them consider, think, ponder about the steadfast love. That's the words in plural in the Hebrew. It's the, it's the mercies the vast number of goodnesses that God's poured out upon us. So here's why we can always give thanks to God. It's because if we will stop and think about what we have in Christ, we'll realize that in Jesus Christ, we have received vast, like an an ocean full of undeserved goodness. And if you stop and attend to it and consider it, you'll see God's astonishing goodness has been all through my life and is now pouring out upon me. 
And then as you see that, pay attention to it, thanksgiving will rise up in your heart. You'll feel and you'll express thankfulness to him. Okay, now, what about those times where you're just not feeling that? Okay? What about the times where you're, you're not feeling that thankfulness in your heart? Which is a lot of the time for us, right? Okay, let me be blunt in explaining what's going on at those times when I'm not feeling thankfulness in my heart towards the Lord and when you're not. When I'm not feeling thankfulness to the Lord in my heart, it's because in my heart, I've elevated something else besides God as more important than God. That's what's going on. Okay, That's what I've just done. I've elevated something else. If I've received a relationship with God through Jesus, but I'm grumbling with, with all that that is, but I'm grumbling and complaining about something over here, I've elevated this lack of whatever it is that's making me grumble and complain up above relationship with God. That's why I'm feeling mostly grumbling and complaining because I've made that more important than God. Now, that's a dangerous place to be spiritually. It's a dangerous place to be spiritually. Okay, but here's the good news. Okay. Because of Jesus, when you're in that place and you cry out to God to deliver you, what will he do? He'll deliver you. Time and time and time and time again. So, I experienced this um Friday afternoon. Did I get that right? Friday afternoon. Okay. I was grumbling and I was complaining. There were some things that were not going the way I wanted them to be going Friday afternoon. And, uh, and as I looked in my heart, you know what I saw is that those things that weren't going well at that time, those were more important to me than all that I'd received from God through Jesus. That is a tragic truth. But you do the same thing, don't you? Okay, that was more important to me, which is why mostly what I was feeling was not thankfulness. And concerned about this, I was feeling mostly grumbling and thankful for this. Okay, you know the difference? Dangerous place to be. It's called idolatry, right? Worship of the true God, mostly thankful, concern. Idolatry, grumbling, complaining. Things aren't going very well. Oh, thank you. Okay, all right. So I, I, I cried to the Lord. This passage was so encouraging to me. Just shine light because there's, you know, there's lots of time when in my heart I'm not feeling mostly thankfulness to the Lord. So I, I repented for lifting up other things in my heart above Jesus. And then I obeyed verse 43. I, I tried to attend to these things, to all that I had in Jesus through the cross by God's mercy. I tried to attend to those things. I thought about how I was forgiven for all of my sins. I deserve an eternity in hell, but God poured that out upon Jesus who died in my place. So now I look ahead to God's love and compassion and joyful pouring out good upon me from now forever. And I thought about how even though it didn't look like it in some circumstances in my life, God was rejoicing over me to do me good with all his heart and soul all the time. Because there are times where you can't see that he's doing that, right? But he is. Okay, so I, I cried out to the Lord. I attended to these things. I repented for my idolatry. I tried to lay those things down at his feet. I asked him, help me to love you more than those things. I need your help. He sent forth his word and healed me. Just like he says he does in, in Psalm 107. And slowly, slow, but thankfulness started to rise up in my heart. 
And slowly, instead of having my, my, my worldview be mostly these things that weren't going so well, those kind of went off to the side and got smaller. And mostly my mind was, I am redeemed by the blood of Christ. I'm, I'm born again. I'm adopted into God's family. He's my affectionate, loving father. He's in control of everything. He's working everything for good. He's going to provide, guide, satisfy, do everything, raise me from the dead, but I'm going to be with him forever. And, and slowly, thankfulness rose up in my heart. He sent forth his word and he, he healed me. So that's what verse 43 is calling us to do. Whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That's how we can always give thanks. Okay, now let me just close with this. Paul says, in everything that is all the time, give thanks. And that should just floor us. None of us do that. How do we justify that? Satan just helps. We just kind of read right through those verses. God says, my will is that you're always giving thanks. We start to read right through it. What's next? What's next? Oh, okay, I've got to go to work, right? We've we got to feel this. Feel the power of it and then feel the, the hopefulness of it. What an amazing book. What a, just think of it as an ethical system that Christianity means you're able always to give thanks to God. <laughs> I mean, that if you see things as they really are, thank you. Thank you. It doesn't mean that you you paste a smile on your face, you never grieve, you never sorrow. Let me nuance a little more carefully. It means that we always mostly can feel thankfulness to God. You can grieve with thanks, right? You can sorrow with thanks. That's the, the reality of the Christian life. But the will of God is that mostly, always, we'd be thanking him. I mean, always, we'd be mostly thanking him. That's what his will is for us. So here's what I want to call us to do. None of us are doing it. Okay? But you can. You can. You can. Because when you're not, you're not seeing things straight. Oh, I guess I'm blind. Yes, you are blind. And I am too. You're not feeling mostly thankful. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yes, you are. Okay, that's just the reality of the way it is. And because Friday afternoon, I, I wasn't seeing the cross. I wasn't seeing God. I wasn't seeing the Holy Spirit. I wasn't seeing his promises to me. I was an idiot. Okay? And that's good news. You mean reality isn't how I'm feeling? Yes! Yes! So just let the word, okay, this is reality. I'm an idiot. This is reality. Let him attend to these things. Oh! Right? Set your heart on who God is, what God has done, what God will do. So here's, here's my challenge to me and to you. We're talking about authentic prayer from the Psalms. I hope that you have at least one time every day that you're devoting just to prayer, where it's you and the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, sweet, powerful communication through prayer. Make a chunk of that time thanking him. Nurture thanks. Thanks, like anything else, it's like a muscle. It will atrophy if you don't exercise it. And if you exercise it, ooh, okay, it'll get strong. So you may need to, to press in if you haven't been doing this, but so that those times where you're only praying, have a chunk of that be thanks. Just thank God. Thank him for the, the little things that are happening recently, for the big picture things, the cross, the gift of the Holy Spirit, redemption, perseverance. Adoption, thank him for these things. So that's one part, your individual times where it's just you and him doing nothing else but praying. 
And then, as you pray throughout the day, have that prayer, always have the aroma of of mostly thankful. Thank you. Thank you. And when you're not feeling thankful, don't pretend. Then you pull out the lament notes, okay, from the lament sermon, all right, because that'll lead you to Thanksgiving at the end of that too, all right, because you'll be attending to these things. Does that make sense? See, the fact that it's God's will that we always mostly be giving thanks is amazing news because it's the truth of reality if you're trusting Jesus. It is the truth of reality if you're trusting Jesus. It's who God is. It's what he's done. It's what he is doing. It's what he will do. If you can see things as they are, if you can attend to these things, thankfulness will arise. That's reality if you're trusting Jesus. If you're not trusting Jesus, it's not. But it could be. If you'll repent and put your trust in Jesus. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. All right, let's stand together. Not maybe that's what you need to do this morning. That's exactly what you need to do this morning if you're not trusting Jesus. So let's pray. I ask, Lord, that for me, for each of us, would you work in our hearts so that this week, as we have times where we're doing nothing else except just talking to you, would you enable us by the work of your spirit, by your grace, to have thanks be a major chunk of that time? That we wouldn't just like dutifully or under obligation, oh, thank you, and then move on, but that we would thank you. Thank you. And then, Lord, let that flow out into the rest of our day as we're talking to you throughout the day that mostly, all day long, what we'd be feeling would be thankfulness. Put that upon us, Lord, I pray. Put this in our heart.